Welcome to Labyrinth, the official podcast of the Friedrich Nietzsche Society, where we discuss recent work on Nietzsche with Nietzsche scholars. I'm Dr. Vanessa Urkel, and in this episode, we talk to Professor Matthew Meyer on his recent publication. Members of the Friedrich Nietzsche Society can enjoy the full one-hour episode on our website. Please visit www.fns.org.uk for more details. We'll now go to the interview. We hope you enjoy this episode. joined today by Matthew Meyer. Uh, Matthew Meyer is Professor of Philosophy at the and the Faculty Director of the Slattery Centre for Humanities at the University of Scranton. He has published extensively on the work and philosophy of Friedrich Nietzsche. He published his first monograph, Reading Nietzsche Through the Ancients, an Analysis of Becoming, Perspectivism and the Principle of Non-Contradiction with de Gruyter in 2014. And in 2019, he published his second monograph, Nietzsche's Free Spirit Works, a Dialectical Reading with Cambridge University Press. He has also published an edited volume on Nietzsche's Metaphilosophy with Paul Loeb, also with Cambridge University Press. And he is currently working on a reader's guide to Thus Spoke Zarathustra under contract with Rutledge. Uh, Matt, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Vanessa. Um, today we'll be discussing your book, Nietzsche's Free Spirit Works, a Dialectical Reading, which focuses on Nietzsche's middle period works published between 1878 and 18. 18- uh, 82, including Human All to Human, Assorted Opinions and Maxims, The Wanderer and His Shadow, Daybreak and the Gay Science. Matt, what interests you about Nietzsche's free spirit works? Um, that's a good question. Um, I, I think it's just that they were for a while, and I think for a lot of people, kind of puzzling. Um, one of the most pu- puzzling features in particular is the role of, of Human All to Human. Uh, and the way in which it seems to kind of mark really a radical break with, first of all, what Nietzsche was doing prior to writing Human All to Human or publishing it in 1878. Um, you know, it's far much different than like the birth of tragedy and even the untimely meditations. Um, so that's on the one hand. Now, maybe that wouldn't be so shocking if Nietzsche kind of published Human All to Human and continued to publish in that vein with kind of types of works that would follow in the the spirit, the cold and sober kind of analysis, a kind of scientific um, criticism, uh, deep kind of skepticism and doubt, but but he doesn't. And I think the most puzzling feature is that within a mere four years, uh, moving into the gay science, um, uh, and then especially into Thus Spoke Zarathustra, which is kind of a high-flying poetic um, work with uh, big ideas like will to power and eternal recurrence. And, and so you're left with this kind of strange question of like, what uh, is going on with human all too human, at least for me. Um, and, 
the question becomes even more so when you realize that human all too human, that Nietzsche really stresses, and this is something I argue in the book, the unity uh, of the free spirit works. So somehow, and this is what I want, uh, one big takeaway from the work is that really try to think of the free spirit works as one book, like we think of Zarathustra published in installments, and then try to fit together what's going on in Human All Too Human with what he does in let's say book four uh, of the gay science. And then there's, there's your puzzle. <laughs> um, and th there's where I kind of jump in and think that I have some way of explaining that puzzle that might make sense to some people. And I know some people will, will resist it and that's fine, but at least I offer kind of a, it's, it's almost like a set of interpretive goggles. You can say here, try these on and read the text like this and see if it makes better sense to you and resolve some of the problems. So, yeah. Oh, I really enjoyed trying on the goggles and having a look at um, <laughs> the free Thank you. spirit works as a unity. Um, you do offer a really different and novel way of interpreting and looking at these works and reading them. Could you tell us a little bit more about your central thesis of your book? Yeah. So I, I even break it down into four parts. I mean, maybe I should say it if I can remember it. I've got uh, this it. Was a I've book got written it. Pre, it was <laughs> yeah. pre-pandemic when I wrote it and published it. It feels like so long ago. Um, but they are they're best understood. That's that's one feature as a consciously constructed dialectical Bildungsroman. Now that of course is all a, a mouthful, but I got the thesis of the book into one sentence, which I think is a good thing. Um, and, and maybe I'll just kind of break it down in those four parts as I do a, a bit in the book, um, and that will be a basis for further conversation. So the Bildungsroman is really kind of a, what I, I just say, well, there's a lot of questions about what exactly that means. I say it's kind of a narrative of self-education. So the idea is that these texts are telling the story of uh, uh, the education of the free spirit. And to some degree, uh, this is both Nietzsche kind of educating himself as free spirit, almost as a kind of persona that inhabits these, but also as free spirits. So kind of bringing the reader uh, along uh, in this uh, journey of education, much like Descartes would try to bring the reader along in his own meditations. Um, and walking us through certain kind of steps. And even I talked about, I talk about the steps of enlightenment. Mm -hmm. um, the, I guess the dialectical part um, has to do, and this kind of piggybacks off some of the things that I said uh, in answer to your first question, is that as this educational kind of process kind of unfolds, um, what you see is uh, uh, an inversion of the relationship between science uh, and art. And maybe to tie this up with the enlightenment um, uh, that Nietzsche is very much kind of um, connecting his work to is that he really almost takes a hundred, a step about a hundred years back, connects his work to even more so to Descartes explicitly, to Descartes and Voltaire, says, I'm carrying the banner or bearing the banner of the enlightenment uh, early on. And he starts with the kind of presuppositions uh, and values, uh, most of all, in almost an ascetic truth seeking, and says that I'm going to start from that standpoint. And then what he does is he walks himself and the reader through a series of reflections of, I, I forgot the count, but more than 1500 aphorisms, 
where if you were to read these books in order, and of course that's uh, another piece of the Bildungsroman part, mm -hmm. the narrative that this is telling a story. And so you can't just kind of plunder these aphorisms looking for some kind of theory that Nietzsche might have. And you read these in order, you're going to see how science in some sense kind of becomes self-undermining. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's there's different ways to understand that. But what I really, I, maybe I shouldn't say science is self-undermining, but um, this ascetic quest for truth. Um, and one of the claims that I make is that this actually happens in the narrative of the free spirit works. And then Nietzsche retrospectively describes that in places like the genealogy uh, essay three. So that's the second part. Um, uh, uh, what are the other parts? Um, oh, consciously constructed. Now, this is what is probably going to cause the most controversy, and that's fine. I, 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 I said, I'm, I'm going to go with this, and if I get controversial, then I think that's supposed to be good, because <laughs> Nietzsche's controversial, uh, and I think that's why so many people read him. I said, okay, fine, let's bring on the controversy. Um, the idea is that um, when Nietzsche sits down uh, to, and I say publish, when he publishes Human All Too Human, he has some sense that this, that the work that he is publishing will not, and I make a couple of claims, um, and I make them fairly um, limited, but that, that at the very least, he knows that this process of self-education is going to go on beyond human ulti human. And I think that's actually quite uncontroversial because he comes right along afterwards and writes assorted opinions and maxims um, and, and also the wonder in a shadow. Although one could doubt that he ever had that in mind when he first wrote human. Um, but that also that there is going to be uh, this kind of notion of the selbst aufhebung or this kind of inversion of his science-friendly, truth-seeking project of human into some sort of kind of art. Now that's much more controversial. So he's already kind of got the dynamic that kind of takes place in the gay science, already in mind in human all too human. Uh, and then third, that there's probably gonna be some kind of rebirth of tragedy. Love that bit. <laughs> so when he writes human, so one of the claims that I make is that when he breaks, you know, the key event is that he breaks with Wagner yeah. in 1876, two years before he writes Human. And, and, and the thought there is that when he does that, he just doesn't, he just doesn't break with Wagner and the whole project of tragedy. What he says is, you know what, I got to stop depending on other people as being these bearers of culture and then writing, kind of encouraging to go pursue this cultural project. I'm going to do this myself. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, and, and the idea is that he's going to kind of enact the rebirth of tragedy that he'd kind of been hoping for in the birth of tragedy, but he's going to do this in a very kind of drawn out way, uh, that really builds upon, and here's the, the, the last claim. So, you know, why would I have something, you know, make such a crazy claim when there is no note, like, here's my plan for, you know, the next six years, uh, we don't have exactly that. But the idea is that he had plans for some kind of project like this mm -hmm. in his earlier writings. So where does the Bildungsroman come from? Well, it comes straight out of Schopenhauer's educator, I would say. Yeah. He writes his theory of education and then he executes it, applies it to himself. Where does this idea of science, truth-seeking science, biting itself in the tail come from? 
Well, it's in chapter 15 of, or section 15 of the Birth of Tragedy. And there's also other notes from 72 and 73 where he talks exactly about this dynamic. Um, you know, where does he get the idea for the rebirth of tragedy? Well, it's, it's right there. So, so that's, that's the consciously constructed bit. Now we got mm -hmm. one last part uh, is that the claim is that it's best understood. And mm -hmm. I also think that's important. I'm not making a claim that I've proven this is the way to read. Um, I have had some uh, senior people, uh, well, one senior person kind of write me and say, this thing is crazy. You're going to ruin your reputation as a scholar oh. <laughs> <laughs> if you say this consciously constructed bit. Um, and I, my response, so here's in the one said, uh, if you think I'm dead wrong, then just show me a piece of evidence that says that that falsifies the interpretive framework that I've provided. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I don't think you can find that. Um, so the idea is we have two different kind of sets of interpretive goggles or three or four. And I don't think that there's any proof for any of the other ones. So the idea is which one best explains the phenomena, the phenomena here being texts. And um, the thought is, is that if you try my goggles, um, you'll like them the best. <laughs> um, and so that's what I mean by best. You won't walk away saying, you know, this is definitive, no other readings possible. And in fact, there could be some subsequent reading that comes along and says, no, no, uh, I've got a better set of goggles, uh, uh, lenses uh, through which to approach these texts. And that's perfectly fine by mm -hmm. me. So, so there you go. That's, but maybe hopefully that's what you were kind of hoping for is yeah. somewhat of an elaborate explanation. Thank you. That was um, a really neat way yeah. of discussing your central thesis and getting all of those elements into one sentence is incredible. So well done. <laughs> um, the word Bildung is really important to your um, approach here or your, your thesis and argument. Um, and it's a bit of a contested word. So mm -hmm. Could you tell me a bit about how you use the word in your reading of Nietzsche's work? Yeah, I mean, I think that it has to do with the forming, the, the kind of formation, uh, I guess you could say, of a soul, uh, oneself, um, the, the cultivation of, of, of oneself. Um, and uh, I think the idea is that it, it operates uh, at both the cognitive levels in terms of beliefs uh, but also in terms of affects and at the emotional level of the non-rational level. Um, you know, Katie Creasy has, has done some recent work to really talk about things like effective nihilism and the importance of effects. And of course, it's not just her. There's a lot of people mm -hmm. talking about that. Um, uh, and I think, you know, you can't make a strict division. I wouldn't say that, and I'm going to propose a kind of way of thinking about, let's say, human, also human and daybreak and their differences. I wouldn't say that this is, you can clearly compartmentalize them. But I do think that the project starts out at the cognitive level, mm -hmm. right? And, and human is mostly focused on true or false beliefs, um, not exclusively, but mostly. Uh, but what's interesting is that, and this is the thing about Daybreak, uh, is that it really then starts to dig in to not only, and this is a title of one of the aphorisms, not only thinking differently, but feeling differently. And the idea, and then this even comes up at the end of The Wanderer in the Shadow, you know, it's not enough to just remove the chains of, of, of false belief, right? You've got to dig into all those kind of uh, effective responses, the emotions, the way we feel about things. Um, and that needs to be changed too. Uh, and that's the, the labor that goes on as I see it. Um, mm -hmm. 
um, in, in, in a work like Daybreak, but, um, and, and I guess I could even talk just real briefly about the, the you know, Daybreak moving into the gay science. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the important things for my um, thesis is reading these texts as a unity, just from their structural composition, um, you know, the works of human all to human and the two appendices make that one unit already. And because we know that the gay science, um, the, the first three books were written as books six, seven, and eight of Daybreak, you're already bundling those together. Mm -hmm. So the only real break in this whole free spirit, you know, kind of trilogy from the point of when Nietzsche was writing is in between The Wanderer and Daybreak. Now, the reason why I say that is because I was talking about this kind of cognitive kind of freedom, but then also these kind of deeper, more subterranean freedom that you need mm -hmm. to kind of ferret out once you've kind of corrected your beliefs. Um, and, and you can think of that in terms of the death of God and, and the elimination of the shadows, right? Um, the, the, you know, the death of God would be the cognitive. And I think God in that sense is just as a belief um, is already pretty much gone in human all to human. And there's even a death of God passage in, in the wanderer in his shadow, um, which is also fascinating the prisoners. Um, but, um, but also, um, uh, uh, that you have to get rid of the shadows, of course. Mm -hmm. And, and that, I think that death of God passage completes the work, uh, of, of what goes on in daybreak. That's kind of, uh, it kind of culminates in that. Um, so hopefully that, that kind of answers, um, yeah. the question, but the idea about building is that it's that formation, that, that complete kind of formation and reformation, a kind of, you know, getting rid of the weeds as Schopenhauer, mm -hmm. you know, as he talks about as Schopenhauer's educator, removing all those bad things and then re kind of making that. And that's the plowshare of coming through and tilling the soil and then making that possible for the planting of something new. Uh, and, and that could be something, a project that extends well into the, the later works. So. Mm, that's beautiful. So do you, do you think Nietzsche becomes who he is by the end of his free spirit project? No. No, <laughs> no. Uh, so this could yes. get even into more uh, dangerous territory um, because I think that, you know, so it's fascinating. If you look at the, the philology, uh, you know, I mean, you, I mean, you do the, the, the legwork of, you know, using the knock loss in the way that I think it should be used is you read the primary text and then you kind of look at notes and letters at the same time, kind of connecting them to actual published passages to help illuminate what those published passages are, are, are trying to say. You do get in the letters and notes of the time, kind of the call and also in the published works, the call to become who you are, mm -hmm. gently kind of popping up in places like even at the time of human to human daybreak. But of course that comes with a resounding, you know, become who you are at the end of book three, of the gay science, right? And, and that's a call. What does your conscience say? Become who you are. Um, that now tells you that if there, is, insofar as there's an ethical command, after eliminating the prejudice of morality, which is the subtitle, of course, of Daybreak, it is to just be who you are, not to try to be something other than you are, which is constantly what morality tells us to be. Mm -hmm. But that is just an imperative, along with, of course, 335, of book four of the gay science. That's just an imperative to go do that. I don't think at that point, the project has been achieved. Instead, yeah. the field has just been completely plowed. And that, and this is where I'm gonna get into trouble. <laughs> 
um, might be a proleptic, and I use this notion of prolepsis, uh, a, a reference to a future project that culminates in Ecce Homo. So am I, now am I saying that Nietzsche has plans for Ecce Homo? And no, I'm not saying that, but it does. You once you get on this, like you get hooked on this, like is he thinking? You know, when he mm. says this here, does he already have in mind something that kind of pops up in later texts? So that so that's an answer, uh, I guess, to the question. 